Hello, everyone. Um, this is the very first podcast of 2020 of a guide to EU financial politics and policy development. I am Josina Kameling, and I have the great pleasure and honor to have Guillaume Prash, Managing Director of Better Finance, with me to discuss on sustainable value for money, the hot topic of the forthcoming CMU review by the European Commission. Two words together, sustainable and value for money. Sustainable, because without true value for money for final investors, financial the financial markets will never be sustainable. And uh, it is key to finally, 10 years, more than 10 years after the crisis, to achieve full transparency and better understanding of what uh, final investors are getting for their money. So just to, to give a brief uh, overview, Better Finance and CFA Institute collaborated together on their first ever joint task force report on sustainable value for money. It was based on two questionnaires, which we did with our respective uh, member base. And we also had a round table where we got some key figures around the table, really discussing in depth uh, some of the questions that face uh, final clients when they look at investments. What was the major conclusion? And that was perhaps a surprise, perhaps not. But there was a clear alignment between finance professionals and financial users. And that uh, was very useful in this first ever study to, to see that coming out quite so clearly in the surveys. Now, there were six points where we looked at um, what the issues were facing sustainable value for money. The first one was about how investment managers should have a mandatory duty of care of which the client where the client should be informed from the very beginning clearly what are his costs, um, what are the pluses and negatives of an investment, and have all the bells and, and wrinkles clearly explained by a, a certified and qualified financial advisor. Guillaume, uh, your members, how, how did they come and, and look at this first point? Well, first, thank you, uh, Josina. I'm very happy to participate to uh, this guide by um, CFA Institute. Uh, I think it's very useful. Uh, we had this uh, very interesting uh, cooperation, as you mentioned, on sustainable value for money. And I was very struck by the uh, consistency of the uh, replies and positions between the um, investment analyst professionals that uh, CFA Institute is looking after and uh, individual investors throughout Europe, which is our constituency. And as you said, uh, the first point is on the duty of care. Uh, what uh, is called in EU legislative arena conduct of business rules. Uh, and that comes first. And I think that is very key uh, 10 years after or Nine, 11 years after the financial crisis and the, 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 the drop in the trust of uh, individual investors in, in finance, in investment uh, products, it is very key now. We have a unique opportunity with sustainable finance uh, to regain some trust. So let's not destroy it by not putting mandatory duty of care first. I think that's the strongest message. And I'm again very happy it comes not only from the individual investors, but also from the investors, investment professionals, which is very encouraging. 
I think also um, when we look at the duty of care, clearly uh, sustainable investing is the hot topic of the day. It's become very sexy to say that you're green um, with, of course, the, um, with the possibility of greenwashing. And indeed, this mandatory duty of care um, is, is crucial, especially when we look at a, a fintech environment where it's going to be very easy to invest online. So um, there should be a separation, perhaps, between online investing, where you go for the lowest cost, and hopefully you have everything explained clearly, to where a financial advisor, with his duty of care, really has the responsibility to make sure that you get the right information for your profile. Is, is that a fair view? It is a fair view. Uh, however, the uh, border between the, uh, I would say, internet-based investing and face-to-face uh, -face or uh, advisor Uh, directed investing is going to be is going to be more and more blurred, uh, especially younger generations. They will tend to take their smartphone to get information, but also some advice. So, as you said earlier, I think the the very key thing here is to uh, design uh, future information tools, at least. Uh, for, uh, let's say, for smartphones, for internet, for uh, tablets, whatever. Uh, but at the same time, uh, putting the, uh, the, doing some nudging, as, uh, as behavioral scientists say, so that uh, people don't get overconfident uh, uh, just on transacting or investing via a smartphone. And that, I think, uh, Again, it's a question also of trust. Uh, sometimes, especially when you look at ESG, which is an additional sophistication for investing, um, it is uh, advisable for most people who are not uh, very knowledgeable in this field to, to go to a, a human financial advisor. But in that case, yes, uh, the duty of care is critical. We uh, at CFA Institute um, did quite a bit of research on the investment firm of the future. And some of the conclusions from that build into what you have just said. Um, the, the, there is an, a necessity to face change in the industry um, by exploiting technology, but building also teams that use collective knowledge and diverse teams. So this then builds a far more diversified approach also to the client doing also more joined up investment thinking and by first of all and i should have said that first engaging more by identifying really what the client needs and managing to their desired outcome so that is really a focus uh, client first um, let me also ask you because you are a, a member of the high level cmu group which has been uh, set up by the eu commission to reflect on restarting cmu you're in the retail uh, investor subgroup um, clearly uh, it, it the commission is 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 very keen to get the retail investor back the retail investor has been dragging his feet um, for the different reasons that we we have sort of uh, in, uh, come upon in in the past few uh, past few words but where what can we still better and how how does this subgroup look at this mandatory duty of care issue yes uh, this is the uh, so the 
CMU stands for Capital Market Union, uh, initiative of the uh, European Union, uh, and to uh, foster retail investments into uh, the real economy as directly as possible via capital market is one of the key objectives. And uh, I think it is very good that the European Commission set up this high-level group to, as you said, to try to restart the process because so far the uh, achievements are modest, to say the best. Um, and so in this subgroup, you know, without, uh, you know, uh, divulging uh, confidential information, uh, duty of care is one of the most sensitive points and to uh, you know to 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 name uh, the uh, the most sensitive issue is about the uh, conflicts of interest in distribution the so-called inducements where there is probably the hottest debate uh, in this group but this is critical for the CMU this is critical for sustainable finance and therefore for the uh, future of the of humanity on this planet, because uh, when you look at the first four years of the CMU, it is the more complex, the more packaged, the more commission-laden products that have been on the rise, uh, like life insurance, pension products, and the simplest, more direct products, the, and, the, and the most cost-efficient, like listed shares and bonds, like investment funds, direct investments by individuals into investment funds uh, have been uh, at best stable, if not going down. So uh, when you add also the ESG dimension, the environmental social governance dimension, uh, now it really becomes critical to uh, focus on uh, duty of care, on uh, curbing down the uh, reasons for conflicts of interest in the retail distribution and to make sure we also prevent as much as possible greenwashing. Exactly. Um, of course, this report, this joint report of ours, um, does look at um, what is happening with ESG. And one of the conclusions we both come to is that investment managers should disclose how they address ESG factors, the how being important in their products of investment, and whether it's being done through mandatory regulation or whether it's um, it's it's through another standard, etc. Um, greenwashing is is important, and then we we also come to um, you you refer to the, in, the the you know inducements. We have seen the ban of inducements by the FCA and the AFM in the Netherlands. Uh, it is it is a discussion that has been going on for the last six seven years, um, and I think it's 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 time to really come to some kind of solution on this. Um, Again, when, when we look then at information on costs uh, and, and fees, um, it is clear that um, it's a very varied landscape, specifically on costs. And um, we know it, uh, your, your organization and mine have worked together on PRIPS uh, with some of the issues on disclosure um, on costs and the exclusion of past performance. And... Um, our report really quite is quite clear on the fact that the information on the total cost figure should be simple 
um, and that past performance in comparison with the benchmark should be disclosed in pre-contractual uh, documents. Now, of course, we have all these different documents at the moment. We have several kids. We have the possibility use its kid will be merged into. So it, it the landscape is very varied. Should we come to one document that is simple? Is that possible? That is a very good point, and uh, I think that's a, another area which is uh, very much discussed right now because at the current time there is the uh, upcoming review of the MIFID II directive. There is the review uh, currently of the level two of this PRIPS. It's barbaric acronyms, but uh, package retail uh, insurance-based and investment products key information document. Uh, and so uh, this is crucial. You, you use the right words. It should be. And in fact, that is the uh, overarching information rules in MIFID 2, in MIFID 1, which says it must be uh, fair, clear, and not misleading. Unfortunately, and I'm known a bit for uh, sometimes being a bit blunt, but uh, PRIPS does not currently meet any of these requirements, although, again, the PRIPS kid means well, means exactly, uh, goes exactly in the direction uh, of your question, which was the idea. In fact, at the beginning, it was not called PRIPS, it was called substitutable investment products yes, at the point right. of sale. Yes. And that is the key thing, is that for an uh, individual investor who comes to the retail point of sale, he can be offered, uh, uh, if I start with the simplest product, a bank saving account, he can be offered an investment fund, he can, in principle, and should be sometimes offered the listed equities or bonds, life insurance, more packaged products like personal pensions, etc. But so they are substitutable to all to some extent, not totally, but all to some extent. When I say life insurance, I'm talking about investment-based insurance products, of course, not uh, uh, you know uh, <laughs> housing insurance or things like that. Uh, and so that was the original aim of PRIPS, uh, which for now is not achieved. And I think we should at least have the same look and feel for all these documents. Yes, some have their specificities, might require, uh, uh, you know, another sheet, another page, but I think there should be the same look and feel. We've been fighting for this. So, as you said, currently you have the summary prospectus for listed equities and bonds, which is not standardized, not formatted, which doesn't look at all, doesn't have the same look and feel as And other it's products. not valid, valid legally, the summary prospectus. And it, there are some legal uh, yeah. Yeah, weaknesses, let's say. Uh, you have the UCITS KAID, Key Investor Information Document, which is for us the, the best in class, but is, is planned to be uh, replaced by the PRIPS kid in, in two years. You have the PRIPS kid where there is no information, as you mentioned, on actual past performance with benchmark, which is key. And if I may, I, I, I make a, a parenthesis on this. This is also key for promoting uh, ESG products or, yes. or sustainable finance products. Because I think one thing that was also very uh, important in the uh, survey and research done uh, jointly by CFA Institute and Better Finance is that uh, I think, but you correct me if I'm wrong, there, there was quite a lot of consensus to say that there is no fundamental reason why ESG uh, investment products should be less performing over the long term exactly. than I would say mainstream ones. So uh, I think as a matter of trust, transparency, simplicity, 
intelligibility, uh, the uh, actual performance is key on the condition that it is compared to the relevant benchmark. And we always agreed that's the benchmark chosen by the provider. That's, yeah. you know, he has an investment objective. So, And this has to be simple itself. The benchmark has, a bit, has to be long term. And because we're talking about sustainable finance, we're not talking about money market funds or very short term investment. And has to be against the mainstream market. Why being shy? Uh, to uh, compare, measure yourself against the mainstream market over the long term. It's much more intelligible for the retail investor than seeing one product which would be benchmarked on Mr. So-and-so's low carbon index. The other one will have, a, I don't know, a child labor index. That will become a nightmare for the individual investor. I, I like to repeat that individual saving and investing is not a full-time job and these people have a full-time job so that is why yes we need a simple clear and not misleading uh, information document short uh, and if not the same for everyone but i think we could enlarge the scope of the prep skid down to pers uh, personal pensions to um um, alternative investment funds, for example. Uh, but then the other ones like listed securities, uh, uh, PEP, and uh, and also occupational pensions should have the same look and feel. I agree. I think the same look and feel is extremely important in order to get uh, confidence and, and a retail investor to be more curious about different products. Um, but it is at the same time, and this will be the challenge for ESMA, uh, is to, to have some kind of granularity still in there, of course. So it, that is the challenge, the tension between making sure it is clear and it is recognizable um, with this granularity. Um, so then we come to the ESAS, the European Supervisor Authority. We uh, are both our organizations. We're very much in agreement on the fact that they should be given more powers and competencies in terms of enforcement and product intervention. And CMU as a whole would benefit from a dispute resolution mechanism, such as arbitrage, which was something that was used very effectively in Spain uh, with the preference share scandals. Uh, being that under the competence of a European authority for cross-border products. So, um, Guillaume, um, is this uh, very far into the future? Is this, as, as some have, have said, um, uh, a sort of ESA's review number two or number three? Um, where do you think we could be? You know, Josina, if I'm doing this job, is because I've always been a very optimistic person. person. So I think, no, it's uh, there are short-term opportunities. First, there has been ISA's reform review number one just last year. And I'm very happy to see that ESMA is, uh, at least ESMA, is already trying to uh, use the new powers given by this review. Uh, so product intervention, not only for stability or systemic risk reasons, but also for uh, investor detriment. And they banned, as you know, uh, binary options and, and some, uh, to some extent CFDs last year. And I'm very happy to see that in the ESMA program, there will be for the first time joint mystery shopping yes, inquiries together yeah. with NCAs. And that's a new possibility given by the uh, ISAS review. Also, on the other end, uh, there is a project, a regulatory project on the table uh, of the uh, parliament, which is to uh, 
eventually get a pan-European collective redress mechanism uh, in, case, in case of uh, you know, uh, collective detriment. We are fighting to make sure that uh, investors who are, in fact, financial consumers, they are part of the consumer world, are clearly in the scope of this project. Okay, I know also this kind of uh, project has been fought a lot uh, against in the past, but it is now on the table. I think it's a unique opportunity because uh, trust goes with, with redress. If there is no, uh, you know, I always say, you know, when people are working on alternative dispute resolution, I, I said, tell them, but in financial services, it's alternative to what? There is no pan-European collective redress mechanism in the financial services area, but it is on the table. Yeah. And it is necessary because if you want investors to venture into the deeper waters, uh, you, they need to have uh, a safety uh, mechanism. And I think that, that will be quite clearly one of the, the, the new uh, challenges for, for this new legislation. Guillaume, uh, thank you very much indeed for this conversation. It's, thank you, uh, It's lovely to see your um, optimism after so many years working on this. So that is very encouraging. And I wish you all the joy with the High Level Group. And we'll wait to hear more about that. Thank you. Thank you very much.